Hey everybody, welcome to episode 207 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming to you from Austin, Texas. I hope everybody had a happy Halloween weekend and I hope you are ready to get out the vote. Tomorrow is election day and no matter your affiliations or preferences for who will run this country, I want you to get out and vote. So go get it done. As long as you get in line at the polls before they close, then you will be allowed to vote tomorrow night. And so get it done out there. I saw a quote last week from Nanette Avery, and she said, talk is cheap, voting is free, take it to the polls. So hopefully tomorrow we can end all the talking of this election season by taking it to the polls. All right, as we jump in, I've got a personal announcement to make for the beginning of this episode, which will impact the rest of the episodes in 2020. I have decided to take a personal mini sabbatical from all of my rogue-related duties through the end of the year. So I'm taking November and December off to spend some time on myself and to spend some extra time with my family during that time. That includes... Everything I do at Rogue, including this podcast. And so we will be turning this over to to fellow Rogue coaches, Jen Howard-Brown and Ruth England. They were my episode 179 guests where we talked about the differences in training for women. And they've been leading a group we call the She Squad, which is a podcast virtual-based training group that started back in the late spring and is continuing to this day. They've been leading that group. and. Every week as a part of that group, they've been bringing the stories of inspirational women to the women in that group. And so we've decided because these interviews are so good and powerful to play that series of interviews here on this platform through the end of the year. So you're going to get lots of great stories for the next eight or nine weeks from inspirational women, most within our community, but some just outside of our community, but who are inspiring to our community but none famous, all just what you might call regular women who are showing up in their everyday lives in ways that I think all of us can learn from, men and women. And so we'll be playing that series as I step away from my hosting duties through the end of the year. Personally, I'm excited about this as a little bit of time to invest in myself and kind of refill my cup before I pick things back up in January. But also I'm excited because there's a lot of great stories that we're going to be bringing to you. And so I'm excited to share them with you and to lend this platform to a couple of other voices in Jen and Ruth, who I think will be equally as inspiring as the guests that they chat with. And so with that, I wanted to quickly introduce the first woman Uh, at least the first interview that we'll be playing with you, which is that of Allison Maxis. Allison is the head of our uh, Rogue Expeditions business and has been a guest on this show in episodes two and 39 already. But in this interview, you uh, you get the opportunity to get an update on her, but also to learn a little bit more about her. And I think you'll be very, very inspired by what you hear. Jen Howard Brown is going to kick this off. And she's got a little longer intro for Allison as we jump in, but I will turn it over to her and to her co-host, Ruth England, in this conversation with Allison. Here we go. Today's guest is another longtime rogue, uh, both as an athlete. Uh, She was on our post-collegiate professional team, um, then as an employee where she worked in the main office in Austin doing 
a little bit of everything, um, but is our still our graphic designer extraordinaire. Um, and then she co-founded her own business as an extension of Rogue, Rogue Expeditions, uh, which combines running and tourism to exotic locations like Morocco and Slovenia, Croatia and Kenya and Patagonia and all these super cool places that we'd all like to be traveling to right now. She and her husband um, and Rogue Expeditions co-founder Gabe Steger live in Bend, Oregon now. She's also quite an accomplished athlete. Uh, she qualified for the U.S. Olympic trials in the marathon three times. Um, she has a marathon PR of 239, pretty damn fast. And she ran um, an FKT, which is a uh, fastest known time on the Wonderland Trail in Washington State uh, with Mallory Brooks a couple of years ago. She's run a zillion races from 5K to marathon, road, trail, you name it. We are thrilled to have her join us today. Welcome to Allison Maxis. Thank you. Really excited to talk to you guys. It's been a while. It'll be good to chat. I know COVID's keeping us all apart and distance. <laughs> yeah, so, so Ruth and I made up our own way to yeah. stay connected to all the women we want to hear the latest from by doing podcasts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm not sure how we keep finagling those into who, what friend do we need to talk to next? It's been awesome. We're all anxious to talk to anybody, I think. <laughs> it's kind of true. It's like I've seen the same person for days. I've got to find somebody else. Right. <laughs> Um, well, we thought that we would uh, certainly talk running because, of course, uh, it's always great uh, to learn about other people's training and the mindset. But I thought we'd start out because I, I'd like to hear more about the journey, how you got to rogue running. And I do have to admit, I know the story, so that's why I actually find it super interesting. And then how you that journey led into rogue expedition. So tell me a little bit about like how what how did you get to rogue running to start off with? So without going into too much detail, um, long story short as I can get it, I basically moved to Austin pretty quick after I graduated college. So it's about 2006. Um, and I had a degree in graphic design. So I quickly went into kind of my first real job, um, which was a desk job for a newspaper, just doing production work, that kind of thing. Um, I was trying to find a group to run with and started to run a bit there, um, but I got injured pretty quick. So I actually ended up with a pelvic stress fracture my first year out of college um, and ended up being out of running for over a year. I think I was down for a very long time. Um, so I was in a very weird place that year. I was kind of in this desk job. I couldn't run. I was just sort of doing the like happy hour, going out on weekends, going to work during the day, that kind of thing. And just really wasn't me. Um, so after about a year of that, I guess in 2007, um, I kind of, I had this travel itch. So I had backpacked Europe right after college briefly for about six weeks. That was kind of my first travel experience. I was hooked. I knew I wanted to do something kind of more challenging and bigger. And somehow I got it into my head that I was going to go teach English in Thailand. I think I heard of a friend of a friend who did it and just kind of went down a rabbit hole of research and kind of just had it in my head like, this is what I'm going to do. Figured I was 22 years old. I had no mortgage, no relationship, no reason I had to stay in Austin at that point. So that was in my head. Um, before I had actually pulled the trigger, I actually met Gabe, who's now my husband. Um, fun story. We met on Match.com back before internet dating was cool. Um, that's a whole other story, but that's how we met. Uh, but on our first date, it came up and we realized that we both had plans to move to Thailand the following year. 
this was in 2007. So he had just been laid off. This was kind of the start of the, of the recession. Um, he, uh, yeah, was being laid off, but he was kind of being paid state on bonuses. He was in construction to finish his projects and he was pretty excited about it. He was like, I'm going to have money and I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go travel. I just wanted to go do something different. So total coincidence. We were both eyeing Thailand and uh, we hit it off and ended up four months later, actually basically moving there together, uh, which was kind of a big stretch, but we figured if we didn't get along, we could always, you know, just go our separate ways as we had originally planned. So moved over there. I basically trained as an English teacher and taught English for one school term. I was really just doing it as a way to earn money to travel. I didn't really want to be a teacher. I still don't want to be a teacher, but uh, it was a great experience. I learned probably more than my students did, but just a really good growing experience for me. And so I did that. And then we just backpacked and traveled around um, for the rest of the year, basically all over Southeast Asia. And, you know, I think on the surface, it seemed like we were just kind of bumming around Asia for a year and not working and doing that. And we were, but at the same time, what was really happening is that you had a full year of every single day being exposed to completely new things, um, getting outside my comfort zone on a regular basis, and basically just getting this massive education over the course of this year. Um, like it had its challenges, but it was so fulfilling. Um, and I just, you know, I kind of think I went into that year assuming that I would have some epiphany during that year as to what I wanted to do with my life, because that's really important to figure out when you're 22 years old. <laughs> um, but it just, I never really had that moment. And so I remember we were two or three weeks from coming home. So I've been away for a year and all of a sudden the anxiety starts to set in. It's like, what am I going to do when I get home? And I knew there was no way I could go sit in an office and do something that was not fulfilling to me. Um, not after having this year of just exploration and learning and growing. And we were actually on a, we went hiking in Malaysia towards the end of that trip. And I remember in my head, I was just like turning over and turning over. Like, what is it I love? What do I love? What do I want to do with my life? And I just kind of realized like running, running is that thing that I've always done. I've pretty much been a part of my life every day since I was in middle school. Um, I love it. I didn't know how I'd make a job out of that, but I was like, I've got to get involved in that community somehow because I never in my year in Austin, that first year, I really never got into that community at all. So I remember going to an internet cafe in Malaysia and actually looking up the road running website because that was the only company I knew of in Austin that did running <laughs> stuff. And I remember there was a section about becoming a volunteer coach. And I was like, maybe they'd let me volunteer to coach sometime so I could learn something. And that was just kind of that trigger moment. Um, yeah, while I was there. And you know, we eventually went back home and it wasn't a quick thing. And I think it came back around organically when I got in touch with Carmen, um, who I knew she had coached me briefly before I moved to Thailand. She asked what I was going to do for work. And I was like, I have no idea, but I cannot go sit at a desk. I can't be in an office. Like I need to do something I'm excited about. And she's like, oh, you should go talk to Ruth. Um, she needs some help. And I didn't know who Ruth was and I didn't know what kind of help <laughs> she needed. But I think she connected us somehow. And I remember going over there to talk to you and Carolyn. And the way I remember it, like it wasn't a job interview, really. It just kind of went in and met you guys. And I remember when I said something about being a graphic designer and that I like to wake up early, you guys both kind of lit up. <laughs> you want a job? And that was kind of how it started. I think I just started part time making maps and helping out on Saturdays. And 
it pretty quickly went full time. And next thing I knew, I was coaching marathoners, even though I had never run a marathon before. <laughs> and yeah, it all just kind of went from there. Oh, it's so funny. I mean, the funny thing about it is that is that I I remember Carmen saying, "Oh, you need to meet Allison. She ran with us." And I remember because you had actually fundam you fundamentally look different, like a year in Thailand, uh-huh. sort of like just running a lot and sort of you could see the freedom in you mm. kind of had taken hold. And I was like, I don't remember this being the same person. I don't know who she's talking about. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I know you said graphic designer and I'm like, oh yeah, hired. <laughs> hired. I don't have to design t-shirts of do something that um, that I can really do. Um, so um, I guess the question I have is, so when did the Rogue Expeditions thing come into, like how did that develop in your mind while at Rogue? Yeah. So, I mean, I think if I really look back now, I think there was always a sense. I remember you and Steve both at times having conversations or saying things like, if there's something you want to do, just create it, you know, basically own it and do it. And that was always sort of the ethos at Rogue. I felt like, you know, I remember we'd have those marketing meetings, we put on events (laughs) and there were no bad ideas. It was just, oh, I have this idea. And it's like, go for it, see if it works. Um, So I think that was probably already in my head, but it really it all came from that trip to Morocco. So in 2012, I had just run my first Olympic trials. Um, I had been that year I was training with Rogue AC, I guess it was Team Rogue Elite back then. And I was in full on, I mean, 100 mile weeks, just hardcore training, working, that was my life. And so it was kind of nice to have a break after the trials. Gabe and I had decided to take a vacation. We were both in normal jobs with kind of a normal 10 day trip we could do and somehow we settled on Morocco still not quite sure how I think we thought we'd go to Europe Gabe was mostly interested in Spain and reading about Spain we got sidetracked by Portugal and we were like that looks more interesting than Spain and then reading about Portugal get start learning about Morocco and just kind of realize that's where we want to go we want to go to North Africa so we end up in Morocco for 10 days or two weeks and most part just traveled by ourselves uh, we were pretty diehard independent travelers Um, The difference, of course, when we were in Thailand or in Asia, we had a whole year. So you had all kinds of time to figure everything out, travel really slow, go cheap, all that kind of stuff. Morocco was like, oh, we have 10 days and we have to figure stuff out. Like you don't want to spend the whole time trying to figure out how to get to a hotel or order food. So it was was different for us. That was the first time we had what I would call a normal vacation. And about a little over halfway through that trip, we happened to meet um, a guide named Hamid who is now like a family member to us. But we needed, we wanted to go to the Sahara because we were in Morocco. And it was clear that we needed a guide or a driver for that. Um, you could take yourself, but you'd be lost in the sand forever. It just seemed like a bad <laughs> idea. So, you know, all week you're kind of getting, not hassled, but you're you're in a tourist areas, right? So you constantly have guys that are like, hey, do you want to go to the desert? Come with me, come with me. And we were just in this mode of just saying no to everybody and we're like, we're just going to go to the last town and we're going to find somebody and we'll hire him there. Um, we actually met Hamid in a bigger town and he approached us almost in the same way of just like we were coming into a, the hotel we were staying in. He was in the lobby and he's like, oh, do you guys want to go to the desert? And we kind of automatically said no. And he's like, OK. And then he just kind of went away. <laughs> we're like, that was weird. <laughs> he just like took our answer. So we ended up actually talking to him and just, you know, you get a feeling about people sometimes you just know. And he was someone that just like your gut feeling was like, this is a really good guy. And like, I feel like he's going to give us a pretty cool experience. So 
we chatted with him. We wanted to think about it over dinner. It was just at that point, you know, Hamid was just starting out. He was, that's how he got clients was just asking random tourists on the street if they wanted to go to the desert. Um, he gave us his cell phone number. We went to dinner. We decided, you know what, let's just do it. We're never coming back to Morocco again. Let's spend a little extra money and do this like private trip with him instead of one of these big group tours. And I, that just makes me laugh now that we thought we'd never be back there again. Um, it's like my second home now. But we go, Gabe goes, and I just, I really like this story because it just kind of shows um, how hum it is. But we were sitting at this table and Gabe's like, okay, I'm going to go try and call him. So at that point, we didn't have cell phones. We didn't travel with cell phones. So there were still pay phones. So he went over to the payphone, um, tried to dial the cell phone number that he'd given us. And he just couldn't really, he's like, someone picked up, but it didn't really connect. I don't know. He's like, I couldn't figure it out. So we were like, okay, I guess it's not meant to be. Whatever. No worries. We'll find someone else. So we sit there. 10 minutes later, Hamid comes running over to our table. He's like, did you try to call me? <laughs> <laughs> like, how did you figure that out? And he's like, oh, it didn't connect. So I called the operator who said she saw a foreigner and he was over here and he went over to this table. So I figured it must be wow. you. We were like, okay. Um, so we went with him the next morning. At that point, he didn't own a car. So he, we had a driver and he was our guide. Basically spent three days with him, um, went to the Sahara. It was just one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. That A night in the Sahara still, I've probably gotten to do it 20 times now. And it's still probably the coolest place I've ever been. And we were all sitting around the campfire that night and I had not been running at all that week. I didn't know I was right after the trials, but also just there. I didn't know if it was safe, what I could wear, if it would be super weird for a woman to go out running by herself. I didn't know, but I had noticed all week that like there's trails everywhere. There's all these dirt roads. It's just a beautiful country, so much different terrain. And we kind of started talking about running and Hamid said something about like, oh, yeah, one time I had some French clients that wanted to run. So I just drove the car and gave them water while they went running. We were like, interesting. <laughs> and I don't know. It was just something about like sitting around the fire in the middle of the Sahara and probably two bottles of wine in. And Gabe and I just sort of had this moment of like, we should bring some people here and do a running trip. And we insisted to Hamid that we were going to come back. And, you know, he, of course, didn't really believe us. But he's basically inshallah which is arabic for god willing it's kind of the response <laughs> for anything like hopefully but yeah probably not and um we just you know it wasn't a business idea in, in my mind it was i bet i could get five or six people i coach to come do something like this it'd be a one-off just kind of fun experience um so yeah that was basically the idea and we went home and i remember i brought the idea up to you ruth and i think it was kind of the, that same general way we did things back then you were like put it in a newsletter and see what happens <laughs> and so that's what we did that, um yeah that was kind of the start like we that yeah. is fascinating i had not heard that story it, it, i, I had legend. not heard that story before i just i love the yeah. genesis <laughs> of rogue expedition um so how how did it go yeah. from this idea of like, hey, you know what? This is such an amazing experience. I want to get some runners and come over here and do this together to, hmm, this could be a business. And, you know, how did you how did you make that shift into making it a business? And, and what was that kind of beginning like? Yeah, um, it was very gradual for sure. Um, again, we ran that first trip. So basically came home decided to put it in a newsletter. I think first we emailed Hamid and to be honest, like we were in Morocco, we were not there thinking about developing a trip. We were just there on our own yeah. experience. So 
we relied so heavily on mid on that for, for that first trip basically emailed this guy that we knew for three days we're like hey what would be a good itinerary and what would it cost so he sent us a proposal he's like here's where we'd stay every night here's where we could run here's what it costs and we didn't know better like we didn't know anything we had been to some of those areas but not thinking about running so we were just like okay cool sounds good so honestly that all that first trip is all on him 100 percent um so we yeah put it in a newsletter i think we had a little info session i don't even know what we talked about because i mean we literally looking back compared to where we are now like we had no idea what we were doing but i guess we sold it because we had 22 people sign up we were full within a day or two i mean people just jumped on it and and that was just the newsletter you know to the austin road community really and that was eye-opening um like wow people are really want to do this and that was really cool and then it was terrifying because we were like oh they're like buying flights and paying us a lot of money and like we have to make this happen. Um, like this is actually gonna happen and we put so much trust in hamid and i never had any reason to doubt him but there's always that you know, deep down, like, is this guy in North Africa we met for three days? Like, is he going to be there when we get there? I don't know. (laughs) And and he was and absolutely knocked it out of the park. Those guys were amazing. We still work with all the same people today. Um, You know, so that was a huge boost thing that people wanted to do it. We knew we would do it again, because, you know, as once we're in that first trip, it went really well. we knew we would do that Morocco trip again. I still don't think we were at a point of thinking like, oh, this will be a business and we'll make our living from this. You know, Gabe was taking just vacation time to do it. Um, we did our first Tahoe trip that same year. This was 2013 was when we actually ran the first trips. And that was because Nicole Bowler, who I ran with, her family had a cabin there. And she basically was like, oh, you guys should bring people there. Like, I knew nothing about Tahoe. I'd never been there. I didn't even know about trail running. Nothing about it. Um, but we're like, okay. And Gabe couldn't, Gabe had a job. So that was actually Eric Stanley and I, um, kind of took his, some of his people he coached in the trail group. And, you know, looking back, like those trips went, they all went really well and they were a huge piece of launching further growth and creating, you know, what we have now, but looking back, I mean, it was so rough around the edges, <laughs> like, um, you know, it's a, it's a word we've evolved so much at this point, like the run routes, the logistics, just the knowledge we have, our guiding skills. I mean, we're actually professionals now. I think at that time, it was just like, let's go. But I think that's why it worked. I think people liked it. It was, you felt like you were on an adventure. You were, you know, all kind of in this group figuring it out together. Um, But we were lucky. We just had really great people to work with. And the evolution of most of our destinations has been just meeting the right people at the right time and having that gut feeling. There are very few of our destinations we've sought out. It's been more that someone comes to us and we just know that's the right fit. Um, so yeah, I guess it was 20, I guess it wasn't that long because 2014 is when Gabe left his job in construction management. Um, so that was the year we decided he had already taken all his vacation time. He had taken his sabbatical <laughs> and was basically at the point of like, we're going to do this or we're not going to do it. And someone on our first Morocco trip had introduced us to Kanuthia, who we work with in Kenya. She had done, he lives in Austin, um, but is Kenyan and had done, did like small group trips on on the side. And she had done one with him. And she was like, his trip and your trip are the two coolest things I've ever done. Like you all should meet. So we did. And, you know, Kenya came about and it was just like, you know, I think there's something here. Like people clearly want to do this. So yeah, we took that plunge in 2014 and um, yeah, it took a while to get to where it was self-sustaining, but it was, we were able to fully focus at that point. Um, and that's where we really, I think, saw that it could be something. 
Amazing. So cool. I can still remember the first Morocco trip. We had to, um, uh, we had to stick the, we split the money up to pay everybody oh, yeah, in, yeah. in on our bodies. We had no bank account at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we, then we each carried $10,000 oh, in cash on our bodies. That's the limit. You can carry $10,000. So you, me, and Dave each had $10,000 in cash <laughs> flying to Morocco. I was wow. so happy to get rid of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we've all come a long like, way. Yeah. It hasn't been. <laughs> yeah. So funny. So what have been some of the challenges that you guys have faced, uh, in doing and doing this business? You know, there's, I mean, other than like the inevitable things that happen during a trip, right? You're going to have injuries, weather problems, and I've got, we've got a whole book worth of stories, which we're actually working on during this <laughs> pandemic. Um, but I would say from a business standpoint, probably one of the big challenges we've faced has been just kind of protecting our work, which I think you know a lot about, Ruth, and we mm. were a bit naive about. Um, you know, we know we don't own the rights to the idea of running trips. Like, I think we were one of the first, and it's been cool to see more people doing it because the, now people know about it. When we first started out, nobody even knew to look for a running trip because that wasn't a thing. Um, but we've had two instances um, in which kind of close contacts, one was some people who came who we actually took on a trip to train as guides and the other was a client um in both those situations pretty quickly after the trips with us um suddenly appeared that they were starting their own running trip company um which is fine like it's you you feel rubbed the wrong way especially the people we were training because we paid for them to go on those trips and um but in both those cases, they actually approached our partners in our destinations um, and specific ones and tried to actually use those people and, you know, by default, kind of taking advantage of those relationships and research that we'd already developed in those places. Um, luckily, in those scenarios, our partners are great and would have nothing to do with it um, and told us about it, which was good. But, you know, it's like those things that de- definitely hasn't hurt our business. And we've chosen to just focus on doing what we do well and not worrying about other people. but. Um, you know, it's still frustrating. It's disappointing. Um, and definitely a very good lesson in contracts and the importance of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't need to all be handshake deals. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, it's what, painful. Uh, and, yeah. and I will preface this with, I've got, you know, runner friends and athletes who have taken, had taken the rogue expedition trips and like, they're life-changing, absolutely life-changing. Um, so what have been some of the biggest successes? Yeah. So aside from kind of the life-changing part of it, if I were to focus kind of just on the, yeah. from a business standpoint, what I think one of the big, big, biggest successes we've had is that we've grown in a really sustainable way. Um, you know, it took a few years for us to get to the point where we were both making a decent living. You know, those first couple of years, we were able to do it because for a while, Gabe kept his other job. For a long time, I kind of kept my job at Rogue, just kind of doing a little less over there and more with the trips. Um, had a bit of a safety net to start. So it took a few years to get to the point where we could cover decent paychecks for ourselves and bring on another employee. So we have one employee now, um, Sean, who's actually based in Ireland. Um, But we did it in such a sustainable way. You know, we've never had debt. There was no upfront investment. Um, And from an energy standpoint, we've never felt like we have more on our plate that we can handle. We've kind of added trips at a manageable rate. um, And we're able to stay personally engaged with every group. Um, which I think is key to just ensuring the quality of that experience. Like we don't want this to seem like some big company where we're just farming out trips. Like we have personal interaction with everybody and it means a lot to us. Um, 
So I think our goal, what we all really want, the three of us are all very aligned in this. Um, we want to be big enough to be able to reasonably support our team, which right now is three of us. You know, I think if the biggest we would ever get is maybe four or five people. Um, but we want to ensure that we're all, it's just enough work so that we're able to continue loving what we do and also have space to kind of live our lives the way we want to live, which for all of us is just a kind of a flexible nomadic <laughs> way, you know, and really care about what we're doing when we wake up every day, but not devoting every moment of our life to the business either. Um, so I think that's been a huge success, you know, coronavirus aside, before all of this, we had really just hit a point where it's like we were selling out all of our trips, we're all making a decent paycheck, and we're loving it and still getting to do pursue our own personal interests outside of that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's such a cool way to uh, a goal for the business to have. I, re I really like that. I think it makes uh, life more worth living. <laughs> right. Like you could just yeah. keep getting bigger, bigger. But what's the point? Like, it's, it's just more work. Like just we want yeah. it to be enough, not too much. Yeah. Um, so I know um, because I went on the first Morocco trip, I did not know it was so unorganized, <laughs> but it seemed like it was perfect. So I can't say I noticed. Um, but what I mean, from your perspective, how have you seen these trips um, change people's lives? Yeah, in many ways. Um, the one big specific one I could point out um, is again, going back to Hamid. Um, so we've gotten to see his business grow pretty much in parallel with our own which has been so cool to see. Um, when we met, obviously, we weren't in the travel business at all. Um, he was just starting out. He was he and I are about the same age. So I guess we were both in our mid to late 20s at that point. You know, he was that's how he got clients is how he got us just approaching people on the street asking if they needed a guide, um, trying to make money here and there. Um, today, like our trips have been a huge piece of it. But um, you know, today he owns his own vehicle plus another one that he can lease out to other drivers. Um, his trip advisor reviews are crazy good, um, which is massive over there. Like that's a huge thing. So he's getting people from all over the world that come and are like, I need a guide in Morocco and they can now find him on the internet. Um, he's able to give regular work to a whole team of drivers, um, supports his entire family. He's put all four of his sisters and his brother through university, which is still very rare in Morocco in general, but especially within a family like his. So he was actually born as a nomad. Um, his parents were both nomads in the Sahara, um, were forced to settle um, due to environmental and political reasons. But for someone like him who basically grew up in the desert as a nomad to now have, you know, put six siblings through college is amazing. Um, so yeah, he's really, he's just smart and just such a good guy. And it's been so cool to see him, his whole business grow alongside ours. So we've all kind of felt like we're almost all in this together. You know, it's kind of a family, but we all, we're not technically business partners, but we feel like we are. Um, so that piece has been amazing. But as an extension of that, um, it's just the connections. Like, it's not just you see friendships and we've had a few relationships and things like that kind of develop within our groups, which are usually a group of strangers. We have some people come in as a couple or a pair of friends, but generally we're putting 10 to 15 strangers together. Um, for eight to 10 days in a foreign country. Um, but it's been so cool to just witness people have their worldviews expanded. Uh, we've had a lot of people mm -hmm. who have left the country, the US or wherever they are for the very first time to come on a trip with us. And seeing somebody see the world for the first time is one of the coolest things ever. Just watching those light bulb moments and you just start to just realize how much is out there. Um, I've loved, yeah, just that ability to break stereotypes. Um, 
bridge cultures, you see clients get out of their comfort zone, whether that's walking around Marrakesh by themselves or, you know, getting on a trail that's super challenging. Maybe it's a ridge line that they're not comfortable with and realizing they can do it or someone just doing the longest run of their life. We get that all the time. Um, in all those ways, it's just so cool to see people achieve things they never thought they could. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to describe, but it's very life-changing for a lot of people. I think our marketing tends to focus on like, go run in a beautiful place and see all the views and the views are amazing. Like that's, I'm not downplaying that at all, but that's definitely not what really impacts people. You know, I think it's just a tra travel in general is just so transformative and it's so cool to get to facilitate Ab that. Absolutely. Mm. I, yeah, I've I loved like, I mean, your, your photography, like the photos along the way, the places that you guys travel to, the views. I mean, it, it is just remarkable, yeah. but I, I love this Hamid, Hamid story and like, you know, from, from, you know, a nomad to putting six people through college is, is really remarkable. So gosh, I just, oh. Yeah. And it's, it's not to downplay any of our no. partners in any other place, but it's just, he was the one that we all started together. Right. So we feel like we've all kind of grown up together. Absolutely I guess incredible. How it feels. <laughs> well, and I mean, unfortunately this year has yeah. taken a, you know, crazy left turn on all of this and COVID-19 has changed all of our lives. <laughs> Tourism has been seriously impacted. Um, so, you know, what, what does the future look like for rogue expeditions? Where are we? Um, I wish I had an answer to that. Um, there is a future, I can tell you that. I don't know when it's going to start again. So, I mean, we're completely inoperable right now. We basically got two trips to Patagonia in, in January, February, and that was the end of our year, um, which is crazy because this year was by far going to be our biggest year ever. Uh, we were 95% sold out as of January, which is completely unprecedented in our world. So I was actually laughing because I remember right before the trials in February, telling multiple people, like going running with people and just like, I have never been so low on stress in my life. Like this whole year is sold out. Like I don't have to like think about filling trips. It's just done. We just have yeah. to go do the trips. Like there's no marketing stress. There's no money stress. It's just like we're cruising. And you know, that's, you know, sometimes the world needs to remind you that you're never just cruising. Yeah. So <laughs> look at it all that way. Um, so yeah, so right now we've canceled everything through the end of September. Um, you know, in March, we were hopeful for the summer. Summer, we were hopeful for the fall. And it just kind of keeps going. And the U.S. is clearly not headed in the right direction at the moment. Um, I would not say that anyone in the world has this figured out, but we are clearly um, yeah, definitely the worst <laughs> ones out there. So, you know, we've we had hoped we could pull off the Slovenia trips in September and travel within Europe has more or less started again um, with modifications, but Americans are definitely not welcome right. at the moment. So um, that trip is definitely no chance of that trip running. Um, we haven't officially called off all of our October, November. We have Morocco, Kenya, and South Africa. Um, I'd say chances are incredibly low. We'll have to make a call here in the next couple of weeks. Um, I don't see it happening. So, I mean, ever since March, I've I've been mentally prepared for an entire year shut down. I it took a while, and I still have my I still have my days, but for the most part, I've oh. just kind of accepted it. It is what it is. Um, there's a lot of things out of our control, so we are working on a few ideas. We've got some ideas to do some small scale, um, either small scale groups domestically, some self guided things where we're not physically present, but we're kind of providing the plans and the logistics. 
um, both domestically and also internationally for our international clients. Because we actually get a lot of runners now out of Ireland and the UK and Canada. Um, and luckily, Sean is based in Europe. So there are ways like we can, Europeans can go to Morocco. So there might be a way we can run, you know, a five, six person trip this fall um, with him, um, just with our European clients. Um, so we're, we're looking at a few of those things just as a way to kind of bridge this time and do yeah. something. Um, it won't pay the bills necessarily, yeah. but it's something. Um, but ultimately, um, what's been a big morale boost is I would say 95% of the people who've had their trip canceled this year kept money with us to do a trip in the future. So that's been huge to see um, that people, the demand is there. People want to travel, just not now. Um, <laughs> so that's given us, you know, a, just a really good morale boost for us. Um, and ultimately, you know, I think our style of travel, um, which is small group, low impact, local immersion, active travel, um, that's what's really going to do well once things are able to start rebounding. I think the world of cruise ships and tour buses is um, on the decline, and I think it should be. I'm not a fan of that style of tourism. Um, but yeah, so I mean, we're personally, we're going to wait as long as we need to wait. We all, we have ways to pay our bills and we'll be fine. Um, we are a lot, we're better situated than say a restaurant or a retail store or something because we don't have inventory. We don't have storefront. We don't have rent. Um, so it's really just our paychecks. So as long as we can personally handle ourselves, um, which we are able to do um, for quite a while, um, we can kind of just hit pause and, you know, I have no worries about filling trips once we can run them. People are clearly ready to go. And I think they're going to value travel more than ever before um, now that they've seen what Absolutely. it looks like without it. Especially this, mm -hmm. this style of travel, like totally. you're saying. Yeah. Cool. Way to innovate during this time as well. Mm -hmm. Really impressive. Yeah, yeah, a bit. I feel like early on, I felt like, oh, I've got to, we've got to pivot. You know, that yeah. was the word, right? <laughs> got to pivot and figure out <laughs> some other way. And then I just kind of hit a point of like, you know what, we don't need to force it. Um, if we can come up with some ideas for things in the meantime, that's great. Like maybe we'll design yeah. some t-shirts. <laughs> I don't know. But sometimes you just, the world just needs you to just stop for a bit. And that's kind of what we're doing. Um, so it's just kind of a wait and see game. Um, luckily for us, we get to be in Oregon for the summer. So it makes it a little <laughs> more enjoyable to wait. Um, but yeah, it'll be back. I don't know when, but it will be back. And, um, uh, there are some, we've seen some tour operators starting to ramp up again domestically. Um, but we just feel it's way too soon. Like it's any of our trips, it's a big investment in time and money. And I don't, I don't want people to have to do that if they're not going to get the full experience. Like that's human connections, a huge piece of what we do. And I want it to be the real experience. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I um, what advice would you have for somebody starting a business who had a dream like you guys, or some sort of a dream? So mm -hmm. what startup business advice do you have, I guess? Um, I would say, like, just do it, but also don't be reckless about it. You know, like, I think there's always this tendency to tell people, like, just go chase your dreams. And um, I am behind that. But I think you should also have your ducks in a row and be responsible so you can actually make it succeed. Um, mm. You know, I think people look at, oh, you guys started a running travel company. Like, that's a huge risk. And I guess, but honestly, like, on a personal level, we did it because we were able to, because we had long lived well below our means. Um, we had made some real estate investment, literally as a way of, hopefully, we could have more freedom when we get a little older. Um, we held on to day jobs for quite a while while we got it going. Um, you know, again, we got to start it with no upfront investment needed or anything like that. So honestly, we 
on a financial side, we didn't really have any risk, um, which had let us, that takes so much stress off when you don't have that risk and that hanging over your head. It let us focus completely on building something amazing. And we knew that if it didn't work out, we weren't necessarily going to lose a lot. Um, so we actually did it in a very safe way, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, so I would just say have have some things, have have a backup plan, have some, you know, think it through, um, but do it. And definitely don't let a lack of like, business experience or expertise be a barrier. Um, looking back, mm-hmm. you know, Gabe was in construction management. I was a graphic designer and a running coach. Um, but somehow, you know, we've learned how to manage every aspect of running a business. Um, if you just start and it means enough to you, you're going to figure it all out. And you're going to learn it all. What I've realized is nobody's an expert. I don't think anybody <laughs> knows what they're doing, really. <laughs> and I think I learned a lot of that working at Rogue and with you, Ruth. I think just that, you know, Gabe came from a bigger company, um, really big company. Um, I came from the startup side of things where we're, you know, hand making trail race awards and, you know, debating over whether we should spend $10 on office supplies or not, things like that. Um, and I think it was a cool mix for the two of us to come into with having both those sets of experiences. Um, but yeah, it really just kind of, I think being at rogue made me realize like, you just got to start doing it. Like you're going to figure it all out. (laughs) Nobody's an expert. (laughs) Um, and yeah, and if you care about it, it'll work. It's great great advice. Awesome. Um, (laughs) So, okay. So let's shift gears a little bit. Um, but let's talk about your running background. So we all know running teaches us a lot of lessons. Mm -hmm. I, I assume that some of that running lessons and success influence or helped you uh, with your business. Can you talk a little bit about like what running has taught you and how, how you've applied that? Yes. I would say there's <laughs> a ton of analogies between <laughs> running and running a business. Um, probably the easiest one is the ability to accept that there will be hills and valleys. That was always a phrase I liked in marathon training. Um, you know, in training, you're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. Um, having a bad day doesn't mean there won't be a good day after that. You just have to realize those things ebb and flow. Um, in a race, it's similar, right? We've all done marathons. So you have those moments where you feel invincible um, on top of the world. And then five minutes later, you think you <laughs> might die. <laughs> We've all been through that. Um, and I feel like running a business is very much the same experience, often on an hour by hour basis of <laughs> just thinking you've got the best idea in the world and everything's great. 10 minutes later, you feel like the world's crashing down around you. Um, so you have to have some level of resilience and faith in knowing that tide will change if you just keep moving forward. Um, I think that's extremely applicable um, in both running and in running a business and has been really, really good for me to draw upon. Um, and then I think this kind of goes back to when I was talking about, you know, having some people kind of take the idea and contacts. And, um, but I think just running your own race. Like for me, all my best performances are when I focused totally on what I could do and didn't really worry about what anyone else around me was doing. Not to say I wasn't competitive, but in in something like a marathon, something long like that, really have to just focus on my own race and execute to the best of my ability. And I think that's been key in building a business as well. I mean, there's no reason and you want to pay attention to what other people are doing, but we're not all trying to build the same business. We don't want carbon copies of each other. And that's not how good ideas come about. It comes about by doing your own thing um, and really just paying attention to the trajectory of your own business. Um, so I think that that's been a good parallel. Um, then just general confidence. Um, yeah, we all know in running that when you, you have those moments, you see your hard work pay off and you do something or you run faster, longer than you ever thought you could. 
um, that influences every piece of your psyche and I think spills over into every area of life. Um, so that's been massive for me. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree with all those. Um, so you have qualified three times for the Olympic trials marathon. Um, and, um, so I guess a question I wanted to ask you since we're, uh, talking to our she squad running group is mm-hmm. how have you managed to stay healthy? And also how do you stay mo- motivated during those, I guess, was it nine years, 10 years? Was a lot of years. years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was, it's been a progression. It's changed a lot over the years. And maybe that's how I kind of stayed in it was because things did change. Um, those early years, that first Olympic trials, again, I was on the pro team. My life was training. It was a textbook, 100-mile weeks, big workouts, lots of races. Every, pretty much everything I did was laser-focused on that Olympic trials or on the marathon in general, right, trying to run a certain time or, you know, compete at that level. Um and I'm very glad I had that period in my life. I am nowhere near that anymore and haven't been in a long time. Um, I was maybe a little more injury prone in those days, but I stayed pretty healthy overall. Um, I was kind of focused on every little piece of training and I probably wasn't much fun to be around. Like I think all I ever thought about was when I could eat <laughs> or sleep again, <laughs> um, but I did perform well. Um, honestly, I think the creation of Rogue Expeditions has really what kind of led to the longevity I've had racing that in that kind of world. Um, because as I began to travel, I, I believe it gave me forced downtime. Um, I'm actually, I don't think a lot of people think this about me, but I'm actually very, um, naturally routine focused and kind of obsessive in type a, I think a lot of people that run at a high level or run in general are, um, and I've grown out of that a lot and I'm happy I have, but I think rogue expeditions forced me out of that a bit because when you're flying internationally, when you're guiding trips, you're no longer in control of when you can run or what your run looks like. You know, when I'm guiding a run, I'm not thinking about my own mileage or pace. It's literally just keeping track of people and taking their pictures and, you know, creating that experience for them. So I think it ended up with a lot of um, probably days off and easy days that would not have existed if I were just home 365 days a year thinking about training. Um, and I think that really kept me healthy. Um, I say all my PRs actually were kind of in that phase where we were, I was probably guiding, I don't know, maybe eight trips a year, um, rest of the time home and pretty focused. And I feel like that was the sweet spot where I was really, I would come home and do serious training for two months and then run a race. And it was like a perfect balance of kind of downtime recovery and then serious training and ran some surprise PRs during that time, which was great. Um, and going into 2020, I would say I definitely sort of crossed the crossed the line I think the last two years um where my interest in road race in road running in general and in racing has really declined um pretty drastically um and I'm really happy I went to the 2020 trials um it was a great experience I'm happy I did but my mindset was very different and I've definitely stayed healthy um because I mostly just trail run these days um but my motivation to train like that was definitely I would say gone, actually, <laughs> very gone. I did the work I knew I had to do because I knew I wanted to enjoy the experience of the trials, um, but my heart wasn't really in it. And I think the key with that for me is just accepting it. Um, I long wondered at what mm. point I would stop racing like that, and I figured it would be some big decision or I got older and slower, um, but it really it just happened very naturally. It just, over the last year or two, it just kind of 
started to not matter to me anymore. <laughs> and it's been really freeing. I I absolutely love that phase of my life. But the truth for me is that I love to run. Like I will get out and run every day, whether I never race again or not. Like I love to be outside. Um, and yeah, I think I've had the opportunity to go travel and explore. And so much of my running gets to be in brand new places. And it's very hard to go back to a a routine-based training once you've had so much time with something new every day. Um, but yeah, I think I'm realizing that what really matters now is I want to be outside and I want to be able to be physically capable of doing some big things well into my old age. Um, and that draw of needing to be competitive and racing has just really kind of dwindled for me. So I don't know. I guess the overall answer is just learning to listen to mind and body. Um, has really been what kept me healthy and able to kind of keep coming back and just accepting like there's going to be times you really want to do it and times you don't and just try not to force too much. Yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing. You know, we, we talked to the she squad about their why, right? Their purpose, why they run. And obviously your why changed over mm-hmm. time, right? You know, you were in that high level of training. Yeah. You've never lost your motivation to run. You've always had that, but you just, you had a different why mm-hmm. that, you, that was your purpose. Um, when you were in right. that mode, you were, you know, going for PRs and, and working toward the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the workouts that told you you were ready, that this was going to be your race, like you you had it? Um, the one workout that stands out for me was, again, this was a Steve Sisson workout, but his Texas 10K oh. workout, mm-hmm. um, which just sounds kind of funny because this was for a marathon. But towards the end of a marathon training, we would always start doing some speed work just to sharpen up. And I'm naturally, I can run all day. I can go run a hundred miles anytime, but getting me to do shorter, faster stuff is much harder. Like it takes a while for me to kind of start feeling fast and sharp again. Um, But that particular workout, and there were different versions, but the version he used to do with me was overwhelmingly (laughs) huge. I think it came down to, what was it? Eight 400s, two 800s, a mile, two 800s, eight 400s with it ended up being like nine or 10 miles on the track. Um, all of that at 10 K pace, very short recoveries. Um, just one of those, when you look at it on paper, (laughs) you want to cry, but then when you get into it, it was such a good, once you get into it and you can learn just to approach it piece by piece, um, you could wrap your mind around it. And if I could nail that workout, that's when I knew I was ready to go. Um, that was just the one for me. I always want to do that workout about a month before the marathon. Um, yeah, I think that, and then just kind of hitting that point in training where the daily miles, they're just happening. There's no mental debate over getting out the door or not. Like it's just becomes where it's so easy to go get that for me. It was, you know, the daily 10 mile run in no problem. Like it's, you know, you can almost just do it with your eyes closed, kind of hitting that point when everything's just flowing, you know, it's getting fit. That's awesome. Time to go. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that 10K workout, that was, that, yeah, it's a hard it's a killer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't it's think a, it's a big one. Yeah. It's a big one, yeah. but I loved it in a weird way. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. It, it is one funny because there are, don't talk workout. to anybody mm-hmm. during that one. <laughs> <laughs> Silence. Yeah. <laughs> 
So one of the things, uh, one of the reasons why we started the group wasn't just to have a women's group, but also because it's, uh, we both uh, picked up uh, Stacy Sims book uh, called Roar. Mm-hmm. And she focused, she's a PhD who focuses on uh, hormones and how they influence your training and your recovery and your eating. And so I just was curious, since that's our book group we have we talk about it every Thursday evening, you know, if you ever had any coaches who tried to integrate, uh, like your hormones and your cycle into your training. And if so, what did they ever say? Or was that something that never really came about? That has never come up. Um, looking, I mean, I don't think it was on the forefront of conversation and I've always had, I've actually never had a female coach in my life in running. Um, I've only had male coaches, I had female coaches in basketball, I think. But anyway, um, yeah, that had never come up. And I mean, honestly, I think I've thought about it recently, thanks to that book. I actually haven't gotten to read it yet, but I have listened to some interviews with Stacey Sims and I think it's super interesting. Um, you know, in my younger years, I feel like I had really no notice at all of monthly cycle or any difference of any time of the month. Um, but as I get older, I think I notice more and more influence and you know on how it affects me mentally and physically and all of that um I love that it's become a focus I'm really excited for there to be more research and people to actually integrate that into into the sports world um for girls and women because I think it just makes so much sense yeah yeah that that's one of the things we're hoping that'll come out of this too I mean we you know there is research some at least supporting that while you're in um one of your hormone phases, you're more likely to get injured. And even looking back, you know, Ruth has, you know, anecdotally, Mm -hmm. she's like, I think this, you know, this happened every time at this point in my cycle. So if we can help other Mm -hmm. female athletes start to adjust that way. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, Kudos to Ruth, who is really taking this heart. She's even rewriting the training schedule for this group so that we can organize it around where they are in their hormone phase. So Oh, wow. Pretty, That's pretty amazing. So cool. Yeah. No, I love it. I think it's, yeah. Yeah. It's so, so what's next for you? I mean, I know you're in Bend, Oregon, you're exploring. Um, do you have any running goals or are you just training for life? <laughs> it's just life right now. Um, you know, I had the Olympic trials in February, which ironically was like the last thing that happened in yeah. the world, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was kind of the last big race plan I had because my intention, I was assumed I was going to be traveling nonstop the rest of the year. Um, and once I'm in guide mode, it's all the running is just, yeah, be fit and capable to be able to go guide on any terrain I need to guide on. Um, I no longer have that, but I do have this brand new home base in Bend, Oregon. We just moved here in May. Um, that was in the works long before we had ever heard of coronavirus. And luckily, you kind of just have this massive state and all these mountains and so much to go explore. So I'm really, honestly, really getting my fix in terms of travel and exploration and running. Um, been kind of just doing some pretty big runs now that the snow's kind of melted, kind of doing some big 20 to 25 mile adventure days um, with some friends here, which has been great. And so Mallory Brooks and I, we actually were going to go do Wonderland again this summer. Um, she was pretty fixated on it. And I was agreed, agreeable <laughs> um, within driving distance. Um, so yeah, we were actually supposed to go do that next week. Um, but the park canceled their camping reservations the other day, um, not actually due to COVID. Well, sort of unrelated, I guess they have a lot of maintenance backlog because they were shut down in the early months. And so 
they're canceling camping reservations so that they can do tree maintenance in the campgrounds. <laughs> anyway, um, those plans are off now because there's nowhere to stay. So they're actually going to come here this weekend and we're going to instead go run around Mount Hood on Monday, which will be a 40 mile run and about 10,000 feet of gain, I believe. So it'll be a it'll be like a mini Wonderland. Wonderland is 93 miles. Um, and I'm actually, I mean, I would have been excited to do Wonderland again, but honestly, there's so much I want to do here this summer and I really don't want to be out of commission for a few weeks. So <laughs> I think I'm, I'm kind of happy. We actually have shorter plans now. 93 miles would put me out for a few weeks. Um, and yeah, there's too much I want to do and the summer season's relatively short here. So yeah, it's all just exploration at the moment. Oh, sounds awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So one of the things I wanted to ask you to uh, kind of share with everybody is what is one of your uh, biggest running successes? Mm -hmm. And then as a backup to that, from any of your failures, have you been able to like change that and turn it into a positive, a positive or at least a learning experience? So I guess first, what's your biggest running success in your mind? Um, without getting too big picture about it, if I were just thinking on specific races, because that's an easier mm -hmm. way to answer that question. I think the one that will always stand out for me would be 3M in 2015, the only time I ran 3M. Um, and that one, it was just, it's a half marathon in Austin. Um, it's a fast course, so I knew it would be fast. But at that point, I had never, I had qualified for the trials and the marathon several times, but I had never run the half marathon standard, which is, was sub 115. I had run 115 something a few times. And so I just wanted to prove to myself I could do it. Um, so went into that race, pretty sure I could run under 115. Um, Ali Mendez, now Ali Cleaver, um, was in that race. And at that time, I mean, we were friends, but there was definitely some competitive uh, energy between the two of us. She was just out of college. Um, definitely, I would say faster than me. I had the marathon experience, but she was had the turnover. And I remember I was supposed to run that race. And it sounds silly, but it was going to be my race, right? Like, I was like, I'm going to win this race, and I'm going to PR. Um, she was supposed to race something else. And at the last minute, switched into 3M. And I remember like kind of internally like, oh man, come on. Like now she's going to win, you know? Um, but we went into that race and it was the first time I really raced in a distance event. Um, I was a good racer in cross country and like two and three mile things in college and high school. But when it came to marathon, half marathon, I felt that they were so long. I needed to be very calculated and run very much to my plan, exactly the paces I you know, strategize for. And, um, in that one, I just kind of went into it and I just, something clicked and I decided I was going to race that day and I was not going to worry about what our pace is or if I'm running too fast, like I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. And we did, and we went back and forth that entire race. I remember thinking I would start it and, you know, go out in like 540, 545 pace and go down from there. We went out in 525. Oh. and pretty much hung at 530s for the next eight miles, something I never imagined I could do ever. Um, I remember just kind of internally panicking, like any moment now, <laughs> I'm going to explode, I'm going to explode. And it just didn't happen. Um, and I did end up winning, but we both ran 113 and change, which was, we ran a solid two minutes faster than I thought I would ever run in the half marathon. And that was just the cool, I don't, I can't think of any other race where I've complete run that much faster than I possibly believed I could. And that was just one of the coolest feelings and getting to do it in your hometown, um, seeing all the friends out there. And it was a great day for, I think for everybody that raced. Um, but yeah, that one wow. stands out as probably, it was a huge confidence boost for me and my ability to actually just go 
race and not fixate on the details so much. That's Um, cool. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. And then failures, any failures that have happened racing that you've uh, been able to turn to into a positive or at least find some positive in it? Yeah, I would really not so much a race, maybe not so much a failure, but I would actually like, like talking about the, um, that pelvic fracture I had back in 2007 Mm. when I first moved to Austin that at the time was the end of the world. I mean, I couldn't run for a year for, I kind of assumed I'd never run again. Um, Mm. It just did not seem to heal. And looking back, it's obvious why it didn't heal because I cross-trained like crazy on it. (laughs) But it was just kind of this moment of like this whole year, I can't run. I can't do, I can't be with the people I want to be with. Like it was, it was depressing. I mean, I was aqua jogging at a 24 hour fitness at 4am before going to my desk job every day. Like it was the most depressing year. Um, But in the scheme of things, looking back, like had that not happened, I don't think I would have met Gabe. Um, I definitely don't think I would have moved to Thailand or done any of that. Like so much of that spurred from the fact that I was kind of unhappy and just didn't know what I was doing with my life without running. And I just was not in the place I wanted to be. And so I felt like I needed to make some huge change. And I feel like that's definitely why I decided to move overseas. Um, Definitely the reason I had any interest or energy to like get on match.com and meet somebody, (laughs) you know, Um, (laughs) if I were running and healthy, I would be so absorbed in that world and training and racing and all of that, that I never would have had room to look outside of that, that bubble. So um, I actually am really, really happy. I had that whole fracture experience. Um, Mm. It really, it just, and it's nothing else going forward. When I've had other injuries, it has really helped me realize that they're all temporary. Get through Mm. it. Um, You cannot run through it. It's not going to get better by running on it. (laughs) And (laughs) just learning to like, when I think that's why I've stayed healthy because something kind of starts to bother me. I'll just shut it down for a week or two. Like I know that's so much better than getting truly injured and being out for two months. And I realized that that time will pass and it will come back and, you know, it'll be a distant memory. So, yeah, really good advice. advice. I mean, I'll like one of my impressions of you all these years has been you were very methodical and deliberate and driven and motivated, but you did it with like this a bit of like a relaxed grace to it. Like you weren't that. I I mean, I know you were crazy obsessive or you wouldn't have been able to do the things you did but at the same time the way you approached it was just such a unique way I gotta admit it's one of one of the things I'd love to be more like that <laughs> in a lot of ways um oh, but you. yeah for, for people who didn't get to see that I yeah and I actually give some of that credit um to being with Gabe actually because I think his his personality is very opposite mine in that way. Um, I mean, he's methodical about certain things, but something like running, um, training, running, that kind of thing, definitely not for him. You know, any kind of sports exercise, it's all about having fun. Like he wants to do stuff that is fun and playtime. And the idea of like training for the sake of training just (laughs) means nothing to him. Um, And so I think that was a really good influence on me. If nothing else in the early years, maybe I kind of had to force it a bit just so like I didn't so we could stand <laughs> living in the same house and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I think it was a really good influence on me over the years to kind of balance out that kind of obsessive side with the running and the training and realizing that like everything is still fine. I can still race well and actually have a lot more fun if I'm not so right. obsessive about it. Well, so it, in honor of Gabe, we'll throw in a little fun. So um, let's end with a couple of fun questions. Uh, if you could <laughs> pick any person right. in the world to go on a run with, who would it be? 
Ooh. Um, right now, running with anybody sounds like a treat. I've <laughs> had <laughs> a lot of that lately. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think one person I've always thought I would love to meet or run with um, in terms of like famous runners would be Des Linden. I just feel like we get along yeah. really well. I always want to know if she's as cool in person as she seems to be. So <laughs> look at that as my answer. It'd be pretty cool to run I, with I, her. I think she... Well, that does sound I good. think I you'll would, she would. really well. And she's super fun. Like, I think she's into like bourbon and, you know, like all this kind of fun stuff that you don't think of right. as, you know, this high level marathoner. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I've always <laughs> liked about her. She's outside yeah. the box and that's always appealing yeah. to me. Yeah. 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 So this is a tough question because, of course, you get to run in uh, the, some of the world's most beautiful places and you've run a lot of places. So do you have a dream run destination? <laughs> Um, are you living in it at <laughs> the moment? At yeah. the moment, it's pretty good, <laughs> pretty good out here. Um, I, I I can't name a single place that's like the dream, but I would say I can name a few places that are high on my list that I'd like to get to sooner than later. Um, definitely Peru has always been on the list. I would love to go do the mm-hmm. Wash circuit and just kind of fast pack that. Um, that would be a lot of fun. And the country of Georgia is actually very intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. that's a place we'd actually like to develop a trip eventually, but that's somewhere I'd really like to go explore. Um, I've known a few people now from there have gone there and it's just kind of one of those emerging adventure destinations, um, that just really intrigues me. Um, and then I think New Zealand, I don't even have specific places to run on my radar. I just, I want to go there and be able to do the whole two to three months rent a van and bum around. And I think <laughs> that would be the perfect place to do it. So <laughs> Yeah, those are all high on awesome. right now. I, I love that all of our guests That's have cool. very different answers, right? I mean, no one has mentioned Georgia. Promise that you are completely unique. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's it's awesome. So, um, so before we wrap up, is there anything that either of you want to add before we wrap up today? I think okay. I'm good. I was just going to say quickly, Allison, where are all the places that you guys have trips? In 2021, when we all can get back, what are the countries we could all go to now? Let me go in chronological order. So we go to Patagonia, the Chilean side. So Chilean Patagonia. Um, We go to Morocco, of course. We have three different itineraries we do in Morocco. We go to the Sahara, one that focuses more on the desert in the south, and the other stays up in the Atlas Mountains for more trail running. And the Atlas Mountains are actually like all 14ers, so it's kind of like being in the Colorado Rockies. I don't think many people realize that exists <laughs> in Morocco. <laughs> um, so Morocco, um, we do our Alpe Adria trip, covers Slovenia and Croatia, so it combines those two. And um, we have two different itineraries in Ireland. So those, um, Kenya and South Africa. And then our U.S. Oh, in British Columbia. So we actually launched that one for the first time last summer. I'm supposed to be going there tomorrow. And that one goes to the <laughs> tiny little town. Wait, it's like a two-hour, tiny plane flight north of Vancouver. You have to fly in to get there or take a boat um, called Bella Coola. And that's a pretty cool. Like that's kind of our summer camp type trip. We're camping, and you know, you'll learn a lot about grizzly bears <laughs> on that trip. Um, <laughs> and then. Our two domestic destinations are um, Bend, um, where I live now, and Lake Tahoe. And then we were supposed to be adding a brand new trip in Nicaragua for New Year's this year. Um, Highly unlikely it's going to happen, but eventually someday it's going to happen. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm ready. I know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, 
Thank you for joining about joining us today. Um, so She Squad listeners, you guys can learn more about Rogue Expeditions running adventures at rogueexpeditions.com. Uh, they're also on Instagram and Facebook and with the photography is unbelievable. I, I watch it in daydreams. So you might want to add those to your feeds. Um, and then also just as a female entrepreneur, as a badass athlete, Allison inspires us with her creativity and fearlessness. We know you'll find inspiration in her life experience. Um, so set your intentions and make it happen like Allison. Let's go She Squad. There you go. Allison Maxis, everyone, led in that interview by Jennifer Howard Brown and Ruth England. Thanks to all of them for being the first in this series as I step away from my hosting duties. I'm excited about that. I'm also already excited about coming back to you fresh with new content in January. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next episode, in this series, Ruth and Jen will talk to you then.